coming up next on The Health Hustle. Uh, business and entrepreneurship is is a very long road of so many lessons. It's crazy. And, I'm, and I will be continuously having business lessons, I don't know, till I'm gone off the earth. And so there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of times when you're going to be questioning yourself. There's times when you're going to want to just quit. And then there's times where you're like, this is the best thing I've ever done. Of course I should be doing this. Wow. And you're higher than high because business is going really well. And then the next day it's not, it just, it's a series of that. So I, I would probably go back to my old self and I would say, listen, there's a lot of, a lot of shit's going to happen to you in the next 12 years in this business. Just know that you're on the right path and just to keep going and which, which I did, right. But to not get ever too emotional when maybe things aren't going right, right away. And I think we want that. And I still want that. So I still have to tell myself, okay, things take time. This is not whatever's happening right now that you maybe don't like isn't an indicator that everything is, is gone to hell. And to really, to really tie this together, um, be the observer of your thoughts and stay on the path and try not to be too judgmental on a day-to-day basis, look at things more holistically. Hey folks, and welcome to the Health Hustle of Austin, Texas. On this show, we uncover the big ideas from your fellow health and fitness entrepreneurs in the Austin, Texas area about how they built their business and the lessons they learned along the way. What's up, y'all? Corey here, and I had the unique opportunity to bring on a dating coach by the name of Trip Kramer, who is a self-proclaimed shy guy who now teaches other guys on how to attract women that they desire. He has a popular podcast show called How to Talk to Girls. He has a book called Magnetic, which teaches you all the secrets about dating and attraction. And he also has a YouTube channel with over 1 million subscribers, which I highly recommend checking out. Some of the things that we get into on this episode specifically are, though, what a winner-takes-all market is, what it's like being the green bubble guy, that's totally me, early entrepreneurship, getting a bachelor's degree in dating, learning how to approach women, signs of romantic interest, the best $97 that he ever spent, getting caught coaching men and how to pick up chicks, his best dating advice, building awareness, podcasting versus YouTubing, a rapid fire question round, and so much more. One last thing, if you're a health or fitness professional and you're having difficulties getting leads, one of the most common reasons that I see this is not having a well-defined niche. If you go to the link in the description, I have a free three-step process that walks you through exactly how to get clarity on which niche is best suited for you and your business. Without further ado, let's go. Max Kramer, welcome to the show. Corey, thanks for having me. Dude, I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am, and I'm not even just saying this because your timing is so amazing and serendipitous because I'm literally just figuring out the stating thing right now. I've been wanting to get more relationship people on, and you happen to be in Austin at the perfect timing of when I'm interested in this stuff, and I'm pumped, man. And I forced myself into the podcast. Yeah. Because the timing for me was good because right when I, I don't know, maybe you DM'd me, Mm I was trying to be on more podcasts, but specifically in person. Like, I want to be on more podcasts in person. I want to have guests on my podcast in person. So I saw that you were doing that. I'm in Austin. You seem like a cool guy. I'm like, dude, I want to be at your podcast. <laughs> I loved it, too, because I think my response was like, oh, skip the foreplay. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was great. Uh, first question. Trip. Why do people call you Trip? Okay. So first of all, I think that's the first time ever on any podcast, someone introduced me as my real name, which mm. is totally fine. Um, most people say Trip Kramer. 
Max is my birth name. All my friends and family call me Max. But Trip came from when I first had a podcast. So now a lot of people have podcasts. But in 2009, I had a podcast with a buddy and it was giving dating advice. So to get into my story a little bit, that podcast is the reason why I decided to start Trip Advice. Because when I was doing this podcast, giving dating advice, I didn't, well, first I didn't want my name out there because I didn't know what it was going to be. We're talking about dating and sex. And I was just like, oh, I need a, a new name just for this. And Trip came from my old AOL screen name, no. which was Mr. Tripper. Okay. <laughs> um, Tripper coming from not drugs, but the song Day Tripper because I was like a Beatles fan. Well, I still am um, when I was a kid. So anyway, that's how Trip came to be. And then as the podcast grew, we did about 40 episodes. By around episode 20, I was really obsessed with giving dating advice. I had this uh, epiphany moment where I realized this is my calling and then I was like, all right, so what should I call the business? And I decided to call it Trip Advice. So I just took that name from the podcast and just continued with it. And um, yeah, so that's, that's the reason. Not, not that interesting, but... No, it is kind of interesting because I don't feel like there's a lot of industries where you need a stage name other than maybe stripping. So it is kind of unique. Well, I will say, <laughs> acting. Okay, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Not the real names. What? Yeah. What? I wish I, I, I knew exactly what they were. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, actors and actresses who don't keep their real names or change their names uh, quite a bit sometimes. But again, I'm not an actor either. So I don't know what my excuse is. Yeah, but you were involved in film though, originally, right? I was involved in film. Okay. I was working for uh, the guy who produced Wedding Crashers. Oh, yeah. So I worked for him for four years. Like on the set? Not on the set. I was working with him after he made that movie. So I came in a few years afterwards, and he made some other movies that didn't do very well in the box office, so things you may not have heard of. I mean, let's try it out. Have you heard of the movie Old Dogs? Mm -mm. When in Rome? Yes. Really? Yeah. Okay, so I was on set for that one. Okay, sweet. Yeah. So just some like uh, cutesy Disney movies, which is funny because he came from doing rated R comedies. Yeah. But I worked for him for a while. Fell out of love with the entertainment industry. Sure. It just wasn't really... It's funny. It still is part of me. Like, I create content. I create videos. I'm, I still do creative film stuff. But that industry is the devil. Mm. It is It is the worst. I mean, the amount of backstabbing that happens, like the amount of shit I've heard talked about other people and talked about me just for people to get ahead is just wild. So, um, really, like, not traumatizing, but had such an ill feeling after leaving the industry that I couldn't go to a movie or really see many movies, but especially in the theaters for like a year. Mm. Because when I would go to the movies before, now that I was in the industry, I would recognize a lot of the names and the producers and the production companies. And so I just like had this ick feeling from yeah. it all. And it took a few years, kind of sad because like I love film and I love movies. But um, yeah, and then after that, shortly after that, I transitioned into being a dating coach, which is a funny transition, but well, when that's you know, how it goes. When you know the nature of people, I'm sure, yeah, it probably puts a sour taste in your mouth about what they're actually doing and producing in the world. I think, though, too, have you ever heard the expression of a winner-take-all market? 
No. I feel like that's a lot of what the entertainment industry as a whole is, whether it's music or film or it's essentially that people at the tippy top, like the 1% of the 1% are the ones that are really making all the money and getting all the wealth while everyone else is basically just like scrapping to make a living. So I think it kind of breeds those types of market of like, unless you're at the top with the Brad Pitts or the name your massive musician, everyone else is kind of just like scraping by. So like you have to kind of do what you have to do to make it up the ranks, I feel like. Uh, yeah, I mean, talk about the jump of salary. So my salary working as an assistant at that time in 20, yeah, 20, uh, 2008 was uh, $32,000 a year. Yeah. And then if, now there's a couple of steps in between assistant and producer. You could be like, a uh, president or a VP, but even then they're making like 80,000, 100,000. And then the jump from there is like, you're making millions. Yep. There's yep. really no in between. So that's yeah. sports too. Sports are another winner sure. take all market, right? Is like, unless you're on the top of the top, like you're getting shekels. Right. And so like it, it breeds a little bit more of that backstabbing probably. But I want to pull back a little bit to a little bit more grassroots. Now that we know where your stage name came from, let's go back to growing up in Chicago with entrepreneurship in your family. What was some of the earlier days of seeing that in your life? Um, you know, it's funny. I didn't really realize that my family, or at least a lot of my grandparents were entrepreneurs. It was something I thought about years later after I became an entrepreneur. I was like, oh, I wonder where that comes from. And I was like, wait a minute. My, my grandpa was, uh, their grandpa was, my grandma was. Oh, wow. They were all entrepreneurs. I was like, I guess it's, it's in the blood. So um, it's not like I was really exposed to it, but I, I guess I was, right, subconsciously. Totally. Yep. Um, my grandma had, on my mom's side, had all kinds of different businesses over the years. One of them was, okay, you ever go to like a flea market? Yeah, of course. Okay, so at some stations, I don't know if they do this anymore. Now it's more boutique and stuff, but back in the 90s, you could buy fake Oakleys and fake cologne, like oh, yeah. the knockoffs, right? Mm -hmm. And you know it's a knockoff. It just costs cheaper. So my grandma would go to all these flea markets with her husband and sell all that. My grandpa owned a drugstore, and then he owned a bar. Um, my papa on my dad's side, he was he owned a restaurant for a while. And in Chicago? Uh, in Chicago, yeah. What was the restaurant? It was called. Uh, gosh, I should know this. Was it Italian? No, it was like just like a burger, fry joint mm. with a cute, I don't know, dog name. I forgot what it was called, like Spots or something. <laughs> um, okay. And then uh, my dad was not an entrepreneur. He had, he just he. It's funny because old school is when you have a job and you do the same thing for like forty years. I feel like a lot of our parents or grandparents would have something like that now. That just unheard of. So he had that. My mom was just like a housewife, but then she would do little things on the side. For a while back in like 98 to 2000, she got in the phone card business. So anyone can kind of set up their own little business where they get phone cards and they can go to all these convenience stores and sell them phone cards for them to sell to people who were immigrants here. So, for example, if you wanted to call India, it can be very expensive to call India from your phone in 1999 unless you had a phone card. Then you can prepay and buy minutes, and it would be cheaper for you to do that and buy the phone card. Yeah. And then, of course, the internet got uh, more popular. Skype came out, and that kind of died. 
Yeah. So. Even Skype died though, which is weird now that I think about it. Even, I, yeah, even I never talk, use it anymore. Yeah, even talking to you, literally just realizing, okay, Skype, <clears throat> that's like the original video chatting platform. You yes. would have thought they'd be crushing, but somehow they've floundered. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, now, because now just FaceTime. Mm, that's true, unless you, you know? I don't have an iPhone, which is then most you, people hate me for that. WhatsApp. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> done and done. At this point, though, I kind of like the fact that people can't fo- FaceTime or voice chat me. So I'm actually just okay with the fact that people hate me for not having an iPhone. I'm totally. You get a lot of hate, though, don't oh, you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like it's, I'm a minority now. It's like I'm the person that everyone just like hates on for having the green bubble. Or like I can't voice time. People slam me for it all the time, but yeah. I'm, I'm totally cool with it. I'm not gonna lie. I am. I would be the guy that would slam you for that. <laughs> so, it's like, is it, like it's like, is this a fake number? Like, <laughs> I see a green, and I'm like, this is shady. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time somebody responded after I texted her, and she goes, "You're green," and I didn't even know what that meant at the point. And then ever since then, I'm like, okay, I get it. I'm I'm on the outside looking in, in now. Listen, I gotta say, I don't give this advice, but. If I had to, and someone was like, should I get an iPhone or an Android, and which one would be better for dating, it's an iPhone. Because <laughs> most women have an iPhone. And there's this comfortability. I don't know what it is, but it's just there. Straight from the dating coach. That's right. There's, we, your, first, there's your first bit of advice. We heard it. Get an iPhone. No wonder I haven't dated for the last like two years. It says a lot about me. Um, okay, so let's grow. Let's follow this journey a little bit then. So, growing up in Chicago, you saw it in your family. Um, where did you go initially? Just in like earlier stage of life, or like late teens, maybe getting into college. Like, what did that tarum look like in that portion of your life? Okay, so there, in terms of work, it was getting little odd jobs or working at different uh, restaurants and strip malls. I had the worst work ethic ever. <laughs> I, I, I worked at this place called Teriyaki Box, which was this actually very delicious. The first time I ever had sushi. I was like, I don't know, 14 years old. This little strip mall restaurant. And I worked there as a cashier. And I, for whatever reason, three times I just didn't show up to work. <laughs> I'm on the schedule and I just didn't show up. I'm, I'm surprised it took them three times to fire me. <laughs> But I would literally not show up to work and be like, oh, yeah, I forgot I had work today. (laughs) And I remember going in and I'm like, you know, clocking in and the guy's like, no. I'm like, what? He's like, no, you're fired. I'm like, what? Why? He goes, you don't show up for work. (laughs) And I was like. Just baffled. (laughs) (laughs) What? What do you mean? How could you do this? It only happened three times. Right. (laughs) Only uh, Not 10, just three. (laughs) But three is the magic number. I get fired. I remember too, it's funny. I walked home from getting fired and it was was so cinematic. It was cloudy. It started to rain a little bit. I felt so bad about myself. And uh, yeah, so after that, I, I, I didn't miss work anymore, which was good. But I remember in high school, this was year 2000, I'm in camp, Jewish overnight camp, and my dad sends me, what happens is your parents could send you emails, and then the staff, they print out the emails and they give it to you because that's like a letter. And my dad writes, I got this new computer and it has a, a CD burner and you can burn CDs. And I was like, what is he talking about? And I come home that summer and I learn what a CD burner is, which I should probably explain because I don't know if everyone knows no. what that is. Yeah, you probably should. Okay. A CD burner, so before MP3s became a thing, you could you could copy a CD. 
right? So I could put in, let's say, uh, a Green Day CD in the top part of the burner, and then I would put a blank CD, which the whole key was trying to find the CDs that would cost the, the, the lowest. Mm-hmm. And you put a blank CD in the bottom um, insert, CD-ROM, whatever. You put them both in, and you press a couple buttons, and it it copies one CD to the other CD. So you could just copy music, and you can get to a point where if you had the right software and you had Napster, you could make mixes. You could find music that... And you can find MP3s, but we didn't have MP3 players yet, and then burn it to the CD. Pause. Yes. You said Napster. I said that to this girl I've been hanging out with the other day. She didn't know what that was. How old is she? Uh, 27, I think. Yeah, she's not going to know. I don't think you're going to know under 30. Right. And so I think LimeWire is the one that's most known, more associated to it. And I was yes. like, LimeWire. She's like, oh, I get it. And so, okay, just to, I just want to put that out there for anybody that's like, what's Napster? It's like a... It's, File sharing. Yeah, pirate, pirating basically files online. Yeah. Essentially. And it was, I mean, it was revolutionary. Oh, yeah, it was huge. Right? This is... And then he got sued out of his ass, but yeah. Oh, yeah. And then he worked for Facebook. Right. Right. <laughs> um, Sean Parker. That's it. So... Okay, where where was I? So yeah, oh burning yeah, CDs. yeah, burning CDs. So I was burning. So what I did was, I was like, great, I can make mixes. Why don't I start selling mixes? Because and by the way, I wasn't like the rich kid growing up. We just happened to. I think it was just luck. Like our computer broke. We needed a new computer. When you get a new computer in the year two thousand, there's CD burners. So we got a new computer. I was the first one to have a CD burner, which is weird because this is like a four thousand person school, not like this small town, and. I started making mixes and selling them for four bucks a pop. I think I made 300 bucks Damn. in a matter of a couple months, which is a lot for a 14-year-old in the year 2000. And then I started selling them. Then other people got CD burners. Then there was competition. Mm. And um, I remember there was this one mix that went around that my friend made. Like He just picked the songs out. And then I took that mix and I burned it and I would just go around selling it like, hey, you want the CD? It's got this song, this song. Look, it was drugs. And they'd be like, yeah, sure. And like I'd sell it. And they found out that I sold their mix. I put in air quotes because it's not their music. And they got pissed and demanded that I pay them money because they made the mix. They wanted royalty. They wanted royalties for their burn. Right. (laughs) Sounds Sounds like a mafia. I'm curious. Why were you interested in the hustle of making money at this point of your life? That seems like a unique trait. Yeah, I guess so. I I, I don't know. It, it, just, it was just fun? Yeah, I think it was fun. I just saw the opportunity. I didn't. It's hard to say because I didn't even think about it at the time. Yeah, because like at that age, you were... You were doing all the things. You were doing sales. You were doing marketing. You are making a product. You were, you are doing all the things. Right. And not everybody has it upbringing. So I'm always just curious of like, did you want to buy something cool? Like, what is it about it? Or just No, it's probably, I don't know. At that point, I was probably smoking weed. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> probably was saving up for some eighths or something like that. I don't know. Um, Plus, yeah. it was probably fun because people wanted something you had, which is probably super fun. Yeah. I don't know. It kind of just all came together. It's like, oh, there's, I think it was just you know, to speak in, I don't know, economic terms, I, I had a, a, the awareness or discovery that there was demand. Hmm. Whenever there's demand, you could sell. Hmm. So what would you consider your first official business then? Is it what you've been doing now? Or was there something even before this? Um, my first, no, my first official business is trip advice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then moving forward, then you got into film I'm taking is the kind of the next steps in moving forward here. Yeah. So then, so I went to college Graduated with a communications major, 
and then this in, was in Champaign, right? This in Champaign, yeah. Illinois, in media studies. That was the closest thing that they had to what would be something that I could use to go into film. And I moved to LA when I was 22. And from 22 to 25, I basically, I got my bachelor's or master's in dating. Because in 2007, when I moved to LA, dating apps were non-existent. They, those didn't come out till 2012, 2013. And the only way you could meet women, if you, unless you wanted to go on a dating site like a Match.com or a JDate or eHarmony, but those were like for people who are really serious about meeting someone. It was kind of skewed older. So in order to meet women, you had to have a group of friends to meet women in, like a social circle. Can I pause you for a second? Yeah. You briefly worked with Zeusk, didn't you? Um, I didn't work for them, but I did a collaboration with them, yeah. Okay. How, how did you know that? I do my research, man. Yeah, you so, do. So <laughs> yeah, they, they paid me to do a couple of dating advice videos. The only reason I asked that is because they had a commercial at the time that I thought was the greatest dating commercial I'd ever seen in my entire life. Anyone, I'll put it in the show notes. You can look it up. You probably remember it. Maybe not. It was a, it was a professional dart thrower. And it was this guy at the bar and he had like a jersey on and he was like throwing darts. And uh, the girl at the bar, she's like, so what do you do? And he's like, professional dart thrower. And she's like, oh, like you're good. And he's like, yeah. And then he like makes this obnoxious like Ka -ka -ka sound and he chucks a dart at the board, but he misses and he hits a guy in the heart and kills him. And the oh my guy, God. And the guy falls over dead. And that was like the end of the commercial. And it was like something along the lines of like sick of crazy dates like this or something like that. And it was like, I swear it was gold. It was like one of the best. Well, commercials. Clearly you remember it. Oh, very vividly. And so it was like Zeus. I remember them as like a dating online thing where you go like just like eHarmony or whatever. It's still around. Zeus is still around. Is it around. really? Yeah. It's, oh my gosh. it's not great. Yeah. I just remember the yeah. commercial. I don't know anything about the product. I just thought the commercial was gold. But yeah. Anyways, I just wanted to bring that up. No, but, that's a, that's hilarious. So. Um, so you became a professional dating expert because you didn't do any of the apps or online stuff. Well, I had to figure out how to meet women. Sure. Because in LA, it was like the perfect storm, right? Dating apps weren't around. I'm in LA, which is one of the hardest places to meet people because it's a very transient and also spread out city. So it's tough to get around and very just, it's just a big city. It's hard to make friends. It's hard to find clicks. It was just very challenging, especially for a 22-year-old like myself who was relatively shy and didn't really know how to talk to women I didn't know because I would just meet women in college or whatever through friends right. if I were to. And so, so, yeah, I was forced to do that. So I would go out. I would really put myself outside my comfort zone and just try to meet women. And over a lot of trial and error, it started to work. And there was a, uh, a ton of guys who I learned, such as myself, also having a hard time of this. And there was information online at that time that you could find that would give you like pickup advice or meeting women. And I would devour all that stuff, try to use it, didn't really work out so well. That's why I was forced to figure it out on my own. This was like Neil Strauss stuff, right? Yeah, this is like Neil Strauss Pick up stuff. Game. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Which like it works. People used it and it works, but I just wasn't able to really figure it out. It was so it was so inauthentic that I couldn't it was like you had to like be an actor to mm -hmm. like say some of these lines and stuff. It was just really weird. So I uh 
took it to myself to figure it all out. I started to meet other guys who were interested in also figuring it out. So I had these like wingmen I'd go out with and I started to get great results. And I was like, man, like I want to, I want to help other guys with this. That'd be awesome. So I started talking to my friends about it. And one of my friends was like, dude, this is really good advice. Let's start a podcast. And I was actually very anti it. I wasn't like, oh, I found this information. I know how to meet girls. Let me monetize it. That was the last <laughs> thing on my mind. He was like, let's start a podcast and we'll give dating advice and it would just be fun. And at that point, I was starting to get over my, my job in the entertainment industry. So I was like, all right, let's do it. So he goes, I got a whole setup because he was doing a podcast already with some friends. He's like, why don't you just come with some ideas, come with like a little script and we'll just do something. This is super early days of podcasting. Yeah, this is 2009. Wow. Yeah. I can only imagine, sometimes I think back, like where where would that podcast be today mm. if we kept doing it? Who knows, man? I don't know. But um, I don't know. Maybe if I kept going, it wouldn't really bring me to where I am today. So it's all part of the journey. The YouTube thing worked out for you, so I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, that was, uh, that was the next part. So, <laughs> yeah, so we do this podcast. And that's when I was like, all right, let's, I want to remain anonymous. And that's when I started to see, wow, okay, not only do I know a lot of stuff, but I could, I could teach it. I was good at teaching it. Guy would, guys would write in, I got a girlfriend. Thanks so much. And I was like, wow. So I was like building up all this confidence to actually do it. And that's when I decided to start trip advice. Totally. What would you say are the differences now from then in terms of like some of the dating advice you were giving to guys then to what you're giving guys now? Like, is it dramatically different or is it kind of the same principles? It's pretty much the same. Really? The only difference is just in the, in the past few years, I've focused, I've been able to focus more on online dating stuff. So I still teach all the same things of meeting women in person, Hmm. but also I teach online dating, which I didn't do for a very long time just because online dating wasn't super popular. And then the dating apps were actually very easy from 2012 to like, I don't know, 2018, it was pretty easy to use. Lots of guys would go on there and just get dates and it was never a real issue. Hmm. Come around 2019, 2020, now there was a, became, well, probably, maybe this is the reason, maybe it's COVID. I mean, there was a rise in popularity of the apps because people were at home and they wanted to connect with people. So the competition is fierce. Pretty much everyone's online dating. Seven years ago, if you said I met someone online, it'd be like, oh, interesting. So like, where did you meet them and how did that go? Now, if you say to someone you met someone online, it, it's just like white noise. Like, oh, yeah, duh. Yeah. If you tell someone today, oh, I met someone at the gym, mm-hmm. it's like, whoa, okay, what's that story? Right? So everything's completely switched in the past 10 years of how we meet people. And it's really hard for men to meet women online. And that's why that's a another. It's a, it's one of the bigger focuses of, of trip advice. I admittedly pride myself a lot on having met somebody in the real you world. You should. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. It. Uh, I've never done any of the apps for that reason exactly. Is that I feel like I don't know, and maybe you could speak some truth to this, but I feel like I find that I can actually differentiate myself because I don't use the apps. I feel like it allows me to be the kind of person that's willing to still do it in person and actually talk to people when most people aren't. I feel like most people I agree. want the shortcut. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I feel like always when you go up, if you ever in the history of time went up to a woman and, and just started a conversation or went to flirt with her, a woman would think, wow, that's like super confident, super cool. Nowadays, I think it's even more cool yeah. because I think today women 
even more so think, oh, wow, cool. I get to have a story of I met this guy in person. And that's rare. And that's interesting because it's not an interesting story. You know, it's, it's funny enough is meeting someone online was always a little weird, right? It's like it was always weird from like 2000 to 2013. And you were like, oh, you met someone online. And now it's just boring. So if you're trying to meet women in person or you have a story that you met a girl in person, it's beyond interesting. And I think women really appreciate it. So I want to get a little into then maybe some of the earlier days of your dating in L.A. then. So you were a young guy in L.A. willing to put himself out there. What was that like? And what was it about you that was more willing to do that versus the other guys that you were hanging out with? I think I have a list of whatever, however long the list is of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. <laughs> Very high up there is the process of learning how to approach women, mm -hmm. get them interested in you, and actually get a number and turn that into a date. That was, I mean, even for most guys, really challenging. And also doing it in a very loud environment and 100% sober. <laughs> so I really put myself... Have into, you always been sober? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No, I was doing that um, because I wanted to learn... How, well, first of all, when I was 22, 23, you're coming off of college. So I'm getting drunk every weekend and you're using alcohol for the liquid courage to talk to women. And it didn't really work. It worked like a little bit. But I was then, by the time I felt courageous enough to go up to a woman, I was wasted, mm. right? So it was, it was super not smooth until I finally was like, you know what? I want to learn this without alcohol. That's incredible self-awareness for the record because I would argue most people in their 20s would continue to do the drinking thing. So you, for you to, even that in and of itself is actually, I feel like, ahead of the game for most people. Yeah, it was actually really weird. Yeah, there's a lot of heavy drinking in your 20s. I could probably count on both my hands how many drinks I had from age... 23 to like 30. Wow. Like it was, uh, okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, two hands, but I mean, a couple of drinks a year, like that was really it. I would just, maybe like when I was going to a concert or something, because I got to the point where I learned how to go out and socialize without alcohol because I wanted to learn that. I wanted to be able to have like real confidence. So after learning that, I was like, okay, so I don't really need alcohol anymore. I mean, I guess I enjoyed it, but I think now that I'm thinking about it, I probably just drank so I'd have confidence to talk to girls. Totally. That's probably what I was doing in college totally. or just because everyone's doing it. So you're just doing it. Totally. I never really had a, a taste of, of fine alcohol or nice drinks until maybe I was in my thirties. You know, mm. I wasn't like 24 drinking like Manhattans and dirty martinis and fine wines or anything like that. So, so I didn't miss it. And I was like, ah, oh, this is great. Now I can save money and go out and I can do whatever I want. I feel so, it was freedom to not have to have a drink in order to have a good time. What do you feel like the skills were that you begin to develop that allowed you to be just good at dating in general? And maybe we could even apply that to both sides of the equation, maybe men and women of like, what are those some base skills of just what it even takes to start dating people? Yeah, I mean, first it was comfortability. So... How do I get comfortable and not be so shy when talking to a girl that I'm attracted to? How do you show more of your personality? And through that, you can attract more women because you're more outgoing, more interesting, you're less reserved. And then with that, how do you flirt with her? So how do you show some subtle signs that you're interested as opposed to when I was 
in my, I don't know, late teens, early 20s when trying to get a girl interested was just talking to them about general things and just crossing your fingers that they may, may like you. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, learning about how women think and what makes them attracted, which is so different than what makes a man attracted. Totally. So understanding how a woman becomes attracted, also learning the cues of when a woman becomes attracted. Like, how do you know in a conversation if this girl's attracted to you? Which, funny enough, back in the day, before I learned that, and I heard other guys knowing how to do it, I thought it was like a superpower. And then eventually I realized, oh, this is actually very easy. Hmm. It's very obvious when a girl's interested in you. And I think that when you do know that, then that gives you some green flags to push the interaction more forward and maybe be a little more physical, maybe go for a kiss or get their number, ask them on a date. So that awareness was a skill in itself. Yeah, I would say those are the, the top things what for, are, for a guy. Are, I mean, sure, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of cues, but I mean, is it as basic of things of like body language type things of like, I don't know, playing with your hair or people's dilating or I don't know, are there simple body language things that people should notice? Uh, playing with hair is a big one or playing with, uh, if a girl plays with her necklace, mm. which I, I still notice that all the time, like even my wife, like sometimes she'll play with her necklace at times when we're, I don't know, doing whatever. I'll be like, oh. She's a little nervous right now. You're probably building something. What, building something? Yeah, yeah. You're probably like building something you got off a of Wayfair and she's probably like playing with it. Like. Yeah, like, oh God, he better <laughs> better put that together, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, that's um, that's a big one. But those are more nuanced stuff. That just shows that someone's a little bit nervous. Doesn't necessarily mean that they like you if they're playing with and fidgeting. Hmm. It's most likely they do, but not for sure. Hmm. Um, but if a... It's really her showing interest in you so body language might be she's moving closer towards you she's giving you more eye contact she's asking you personal questions she's showing more interest and uh, another one is um she'll laugh at something you say that you weren't trying to be funny that's a big one like, you've ever noticed someone laughing and you, what you said was like a stupid joke that wasn't that fun it's like okay this person's Un, uh, subconsciously just showing interest, mm. right? They're having a good time talking to you. They're enjoying the conversation. Those are good. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. If a girl touches you at all, like at all, like even for a, like a split second, she touches your shoulder, it gives you a playful slap or, you know, has some reason that she's creating to give you touch, that's also another big flag. Now, there are times when all those things could happen and you're just talking to a girl who's just really nice and outgoing and she doesn't really like you. I think that is rare though. And if you do see those signs, good chances are you're going to be getting a number. Did Unless you? Unless she's sloppy drunk. How, how long did you meet your wife at this time or were you still just in the dating scene at this point? No, I didn't meet her until like 10 years into trip advice. Yeah. Um, or maybe eight years, something like that. Okay. So yeah, I had trip advice for quite a while before I met her. I was in other relationships, several other relationships before I met my wife. Okay. So let's get into a little bit then of how that transition actually happened of starting a trip advice. Because you started trip advice in what, 2012, was it? Yeah. So was that like the next step of going from the film industry was like starting the trip advice and like starting to do the men's coaching stuff? Was that the next step? It started to overlap a little bit. So the end of my career working for the producer in Hollywood. 
those last few months working there, I started to work on a website and building the business for TripAdvice. Then I got very lucky. I got, I was able to get unemployment, which um, you can't really get unless you're laid off. Hmm. But I had a good relationship. I was working for my boss, but we had a deal with Disney. So I was technically working for Disney and they really liked me. And they're like, we're just going to kind of, you know, say it's like a layoff and you'll be able to get unemployment. I was like, thank you. That's amazing. <laughs> I was so glad to collect my $1,100 per month. <laughs> 800 of that went to rent. <laughs> and I was, I mean, I really learned how to be frugal. Let's put it that way. 800 sounds cheap to me now. Man, you can't find a place in Austin for less than like 15. That's great. Yeah, no. Back in the day, now that seems cheap. Back in the day, that was, that was quite a bit yeah well quite a bit for what i was making we'll put it that way i remember in college total side note uh i think i paid 200 dollars a month granted i had there were seven of us in a house and we lived like pack rats and we didn't care about anything and it was a shithole of a place oh yeah but the idea of 200 dollars a month to me right now is like man i could do that again (laughs) oh that'd be amazing yeah um so yeah, so go on. So I want to hear more about how, when did that actually transition phase happen? Like you were podcasting, you got, you st- got out of yeah. film, you were making money somehow. So I'm making unemployment. I'm still podcasting. Then the guy I was doing the podcast with, my buddy, he moved to Colorado and he was just done with the podcast. So now I'm like, all right, how am I going to market myself? So the only thing I was doing was I was just going on Craigslist and putting ads up to work with people. And the um, it's funny, I put up an ad and someone responded very quickly. And that was such a tease because I was like, great, this is all I got to do. I'll just put up ads on Craigslist and watch the clients start rolling in. So this guy, uh, my first paying client, I still remember him to this day. Great dude, Andre. And we worked together and it was very successful. And I never got a coaching client ever again from Craigslist. So I was like, wait, I thought this was going to (laughs) work. It was just, I got lucky. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I need to figure out how to market this business. I knew nothing about business except for, you know, selling your burnt CD. Um, But how do you market online? And I started to learn a little bit about online marketing. And then I came into YouTube. I was like, oh, maybe I should do a YouTube channel started a YouTube channel, not the one I have now. It was called The Social Rules. I blood, sweat, and tears into this full production of 20 episodes. I produced, I directed, I edited, I starred, I casted all these people. It was a whole production. And I put it on YouTube, and it just bombs. Hmm. I was like, okay, wow, it's getting no views. No one's interested in getting coaching because, of course, the views are so low. You're not getting the attention. It's like, all right. Now what do I do? So then I decided to start another YouTube channel and just call it the name of the company, which was just Trip Advice, and just sit there and give advice on camera. And I started to do that. I was getting more views, but it wasn't anything crazy, but it was definitely more than I was doing in my last YouTube channel. Then I bought a course. This is the best, uh, you can title this section, the best $97 I've ever spent. Love it. So I spent $97. I was on a webinar where this guy who talks about how to build a blog had a guest on to talk about how do you build a YouTube channel for small businesses. And so he was selling his course called YouTube Traffic Academy. 
for $97. I was like, yeah, okay, let's do it. So I bought it and I watched all the videos front to back, took notes, implemented everything, oops, implemented everything that it said. And within about two months, I was cranking in the views. So now I'm getting all these people watching, but I still wasn't really able to get clients yet because I didn't know how to build a funnel, right? Like you need a funnel. You need to have, if there's views, how do you funnel those people into then your course or your product or whatever you're selling? So then I met this guy through a Facebook marketing group and he really introduced me to the idea of like online marketing, digital marketing, funnels, and selling over the phone. And so he, I helped him out with, uh, with some video production. And as a trade, he's like, I'll help you out with some marketing stuff. And I was like, wow, this guy's really smart. He knows what he's doing. And we kind of like, we're done with our trade. And he's like, listen, this is what I sell. So if you want to learn this, you really want to get results we can, I can coach you. We can work together for three months. I'm like, how much is it? And he said five grand. So think about five grand in 2012. And for a guy who was on unemployment and had absolutely no money. And I don't think a credit card that even had that kind of limit. <laughs> and I said, Oh my God. I, I, he's like, dude, I'm telling you, like we can make this work. And I was like, all right, let's just do it. I'm like, you just got to split up the payments for me. Cause I don't have that much. He's like, that's fine. <laughs> So I pay him half and he teaches me how do you sell over the phone? How do you get people interested in coaching? And then how do you also get people from YouTube over to your website where they're going to even apply for coaching? So he helped me set all that up. And about two okay. weeks in, I'm doing like my third or fourth call, just trying to get the hang of like selling over the phone. And I get on the, on the phone, with, I'm about to get on the phone with this guy. And before I get on the phone with this guy, I'm talking to my coach and he goes, all right, listen, this is what I want you to do. Just have one crazy high priced package that you might not sell yet. Just offer that to him. If he doesn't take it, it's fine. I'll take another one. At that point, I was selling packages for like a thousand or maybe 2000. So I was like, all right, I'll just, I'll sell it for like 5,000. Like I'll, or I'll just have that as one of the options. So I get on the phone and I'm talking to this guy who's interested in coaching, and I go, yeah, so here's what we can do. Da, 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 da. I'll take you out. We'll talk to girls. Three months, da-da-da. It's 5000 And he goes, okay, that sounds good. I'll take that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, did not expect that at all. I was like nervous. I was like, my palms started sweating. I'm like, okay, let's sign you up. And in that one call in like a couple of weeks, I ended up getting that much of a return on my investment. And that was when it all started. So now in 2013, the rest of that year, I made the most money I ever made in, in my life. And then I was, it was funny because I was like, okay, I think I actually got to get, I have to get, legally, I have to get off of unemployment now. Yeah. Because you cannot be on there if you're making a certain amount of money. And that was a little scary because I was like, oh, we're really transitioning to the next step. So I ended my unemployment. And that was the, that was like the very beginning of, of building trip advice. What a great story. So at this point you were essentially handholding at this point you were taking on coaching clients and actually going out into the field with them and like teaching them how to pick up chicks. Yes. I was going out to bars. <clears throat> I would buy, um, from Amazon wasn't like, didn't have literally everything at that point. So I'd go on these websites and I'd buy this, like it was, it was really film equipment for a mic that you could plug into your camera and then you have the other end of the mic, so it's like a wireless lav. 
And I bought that to wire up the guys. So at the bar, if they're across the bar, I could be on the other end of the bar and I could hear everything that they're saying. And then as they're talking to the girl, I'd be on my phone taking notes on, on what he was doing right or what he was doing wrong or what he could have said. And so after every approach, I'd be like, all right, so that was good. It's good that you said this. And like, next time say this or next time, da, 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 this is how you should flirt with her. And that's how I would get guys really good at, at meeting women, just going to these bars. I had a whole schedule. I remember all the places in LA that I can go to where it was just the right time to go, where it was busy enough to have guys approach, but not too late where it'd be hard to get in because in LA, sometimes you can't get into clubs. You go there at like too late, you're just not getting in. And I had that dialed in for a year. And I started, I mean, I got guys to the point where they were flying in to work with me. And I was working with two, three, four guys at a time, taking them out, being like, all right, you go and approach that girl. You go and approach that girl. Okay, okay, come back here. And then da, da, da. And, we're, and I mean, I was, I mean, my life was insane. Monday through Friday, I was creating content and working on getting more leads, getting more interest. Yep. And then Friday to Sunday, I was going out and taking these guys out all night. I mean, I, it, after a year, I was completely burnt out. Sounds amazing though. Did the girls fun? <clears throat> did the girls ever know that you were doing this or that you were part of this equation? Or did they ever find out about like the whole one time? Yeah. It was hilarious. The client goes over and he starts talking to a girl and the mic was showing a little bit. And she goes, <laughs> Are we uh are we in a reality TV show? What's going on? <laughs> And he straight up with full confidence goes, oh, no, actually, that's my dating coach. He's right over there. <laughs> and she starts laughing. And it was like totally cool. It probably worked out, actually, because that's a degree of confidence. That's That shows pure confidence. Yeah, she didn't care. She looked over at me. I waved. <laughs> I was like, hey, how's it going? And uh, and that was it. it was, it was, he was really cool. He was a good sport about it. We just went on with the rest of the night. Uh, yeah, I had to guess there was at least one story of that where it backfired. But actually, it didn't even backfire. It actually probably ended no, up working out. Which is a really a great dating lesson is if you are confident in anything, mm -hmm. you could really pull off anything. You just own it. You can just own it. For example, I have a client right now I'm working with. He just got hair transplant surgery. And if you don't know what that is, it's like this surgery where they're putting new hair in and your scalp looks like a bloody, disgusting mess for like a week. The day after his surgery, we've been working for a while now together. So like he's, he's good at approaching. But the day after his surgery, with no fear, he's, he's approaching women, gets two numbers. One of them he ends up going on a date with. And he, he looks, I mean, terrible. <laughs> but he's really good at approaching now. And he goes up to these women with full confidence. And they just don't care. Yeah. You There's, know? So that's it's, so uh, true in life. It's pretty cool. I think that's true in every area of my in life, man, which I'm sure this isn't going to be of shock to you, but I think just like for people listening of just that aspect of how, what you're teaching people is probably more just the aspect of learning how to be a confident human. I would say basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if someone said, Trip, what's your, what's the best dating advice you could give to me if I never learned anything about dating ever again, ever? I said, all right, I would say. Just go out and talk to as many women as you possibly can. That's it. If a guy just does that, eventually he'll figure out quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
He'll get comfortable. Yeah. He'll get comfortable and confident enough to be able to be like, oh yeah, it's just another day in the park. Right. hundred percent. So, okay. Working your ass off, <clears throat> doing one-on-one coaching, <clears throat> creating YouTube videos, starting to gain some notoriety. I'm assuming next steps for you is probably what? Doing more group coaching, getting some online courses. Like where did things progress from here? So then I wanted to, I thought it'd be cool to dabble in the international. So how can I go to different countries and coach? So I made an Australia trip. I got some people there. I went to Sydney and and did some coaching there. I went to London. I did some coaching there. But now I'm like, all right, I'm super burnt out. And at that point, I really wanted to start building courses. And this was like a big thing back in 2013, 2014, 2015. It's like selling a digital course. So I was like, all right, I want to learn how to do that. I want to build that. I want the business to be making more money on that because I saw my future. I was like, okay, I want to do trip advice for as long as I can. But I also don't want to be wife and kids going out every weekend teaching guys how to approach women. It's just like not a sustainable lifestyle. Right. So I knew right there and then, even though it was very good money, I was doing very well, I just, I couldn't do that. So that's where I started getting into courses. And I brought on a business partner and he helped me with building courses and we started building that area of the business. And I completely stopped coaching, just, I was done. And I didn't know if I was gonna be done forever, but at that point, 2014 to 2018, for like four years, we were just doing courses stuff. Now. We made a fraction of the revenue because, you know, you have to sell a lot of $67 courses to equal one coaching package, which could be upwards of three, $4,000. So at that point, um, I was still totally bullish on, let's just keep going. I know we can do this. Other companies have done it. We'll figure it out. We'll get a lot of people buying these courses. It started to pick up. We started to do sort of like, well, like every year was getting better and better. And then in 2018, we started to talk about coaching again. Like maybe we should do coaching again. I said in my business program, like I'm not going out there. Like I did so much coaching. It's, I kind of fell out of love with the, I'm taking you out on the town. It was mm-hmm. like, I was just burnt. I was still burnt out from it four years later. So we said, well, why don't we just do virtual coaching? And weren't you doing some of that before I came on? And I was like, yeah, I did a little bit of that. Like people who would just get on the phone with me and I would, coach him through the whole process. It's like, yeah, let's just do that. So 2018, now I have a platform on Instagram. Not that big yet though. I have my podcast that I started around that time, a new podcast, YouTube channels, nice and big. So I started to advertise coaching. All these leads came in. So now selling packages and working with guys over the phone. And I was like, all right, I got to figure out like, how do I get these guys results virtually versus being in person. Mm. Turns out I was able to get guys even better results because instead of working with you for two days, helping you approach a bunch of women where we do get you pretty far, now I can work with you for two months, three months, really get you into the habit of going out, really being able to have you do more work than we can do in a weekend. So I was like, wow, this is really the way. This is, I mean, it's great to take people out. I still do offer in-field coaching, I mean, it's all good, right? It's like you really want to do all of it if you can. But yeah, I was able to do it, and we just kept on cranking out um, more advertisements, and more people were just signing up for the coaching. And cut to today, I got two coaches, I got a whole sales team, got a bunch of people working underneath me to continue to fulfill the vision of just helping as many guys as possible. 
and um, <clears throat> maybe I fast forwarded a little bit too much. No, you're that, good. That's kind of like where it, where it went. Because <clears throat> I want to pull on the podcasting thread real quick for personal reasons. Yeah. So I'm selfishly going to ask as a fellow podcaster yeah. to another podcaster, what is it that you found? Why did you choose podcasting? And what is it that you found to be that you like about podcasting? Like, what have you got out of doing it, essentially? Um, well, okay. One of the reasons why I like podcasting is podcasting is drastically different than any form of media. I won't call it social media because podcast is actually not social at all. Someone should invent that, by the way. And just to give context for people listening, you have, what, just over a million subscribers now on YouTube? That's on YouTube. Correct. But that's what I'm saying is like, so as somebody who is also a YouTuber and also does a podcast show, I feel like this is good to hear from your perspective. For sure. So they're both great. And there's, there's pros to both that are very different. One thing I like about the podcasting is it's like you are just literally the most you you could be because you're just sitting here talking, ranting, going off on tangents. You can't really do that on YouTube. I mean, you, some people can, and it does work for some people, but YouTube, it's a video. So you really only have someone's attention for so long. It needs to be tight. So whatever you're doing, I mean, look at Mr. Beast, the number one YouTuber. Some of his videos that cost millions of dollars to produce are six, seven minutes long. Every two to four seconds, there's a cut. There's a reason for that. It's like, you gotta be really, you gotta keep them engaged. Mm. Where a podcast, you can be way more free. And I like that. And the, and the benefit of that, on the other end of like having people listen and, and getting customers and things like that is they really get to know you. Like no one knows me as well as they do uh, unless they're listening to the podcast. They know me a little bit from TikTok, from Instagram, from the YouTube channel, but you really know me from listening to a podcast or anyone else who has a podcast. So that's one of the big reasons why I really like it. I love that. The aspect of depth I wrote about recently in a newsletter of like, that's what I've loved most about writing, podcasting, some of those mediums is that like, it really allows you to build a relationship and connect with somebody on a way deeper level. Yeah. You're just in their ear. Yeah. You know, they're right there. You're just in like, they're having a, like a one way conversation when they're driving, when they're walking, when they're working out, whatever it is, it's like really close. Now the pro of YouTube is the visual aspect, right? So you can listen to a podcast, but you don't know what they look like. So the connection's there, but it's not fully there because we connect by seeing who we're talking to. So on YouTube, that is nice because, oh, wow, there, there's the guy or the girl in the flesh. And it's like you get that whole almost, you know, 3D-esque experience connecting with them. But again, mm-hmm. you're not necessarily doing the kind of talking you're doing. So that's why I do both. There are different types of media, and some people will watch YouTube that don't listen to podcasts and vice versa. There is one exception to this rule because my friend sent it to me not that long ago. It's the most insane thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I think it's called Sit and Stare. It's a YouTube channel where it's literally this kid who sits in front of the camera. Or no, maybe it's Sit and Smile. He literally sits in front of a camera and smiles for, not exaggerating, hours on end. He has tons of followers on YouTube and it's him just basically meditating and he'll literally just sit cross-legged in the corner of a room smiling at the camera for like two hours and people the comments are hilarious they're always like I love what he did at hour one 
minute hour one and two seconds or whatever and it's just him staring but people love it yeah, like when he moved his finger just an inch yeah exactly <laughs> so there's always exceptions but, yeah oh wait ah thank there you, you. <laughs> uh but anyways so don't do that anybody listening to the show please do what we're talking about currently not the sit and smile stuff well, well but, listen there there are exceptions there's a guy out there named leo gura and he talks about spirituality and presence and meditation and really deep stuff and it's literally him talking head like literally a head like it doesn't the, the the shot doesn't even go below the shoulders and he talks for three hours Damn. about crazy stuff and he's got a massive following so those are not tight youtube videos at all so you can't get away with that but it's a lot harder that better be really good content <laughs> So something I wanted to pull from you that we both resonate on is the fact of the book, The Untethered Soul. I know that you've read this book. I know that you're a fan of this book. Wait, did I tell you that? No. How do you know this? Dude, I'm telling you, man. (laughs) What? Wow, you're good. Thanks, brother. So I love that book. I'll never forget the first time I read it. It's probably, I put it in the top five of favorite books of all time. Definitely a life-changing book for me. Solid book. Um, but I'm curious for you as to like, what is it that you feel like you pulled out of that book that just had an impact on you? Oh man. Okay. This is a long time ago that I read it. I know. So really putting me on the spot here, but so my, so to preface a book that I like even better than that, or it's a little, it's a little bit different, but the power of now, Hmm. okay. By Eckhart Tolle, which it's like a little mini, almost like it's could be, it's like a Bible in, in being present. So I read that book. And I was obsessed with it. And then I read The Untethered Soul. And it was a great, it was a great next book because The Power of Now is fantastic. But The Untethered Soul is, um, how do I say, it's not like that more practical. It just speaks a little bit more layman's yep. terms in a sense. It's a great way to describe so it. So it's like, okay, I already have this information from this other book. And so now I can kind of mix it and apply it. And I think that's what made it so powerful for me. And um, I love that. But I haven't read it since like 2017. So the first time I read it was my favorite place in the entire planet. You've probably never heard of it. It's called the Boundary Waters Canoe Area. It's up on the border of Canada and Minnesota. I try to go every single year. I I wasn't able to go, I think, this last year. But it's basically a very secluded place. You're basically in the middle of nowhere. They don't. They only allow so many people out there. It's like canoeing and camping and fishing, and you can only have so many people on per permit. So like you will spend sometimes days without seeing other people. Cool. And uh, I brought that book out there, and it was one of the books that I read when I was out there. So I think it was a combination of where I was, but also just like some of the philosophies of that. Of like, the one I always think about too is just the I the phrase that gets uttered in my head all the time is release and let go. It's just basically a quote from the book of like when you're holding on to something is you always have the opportunity to just let it go in any given moment, no yeah. matter what it is. And so that's one thing that I pull from that all the time. That's powerful. But yeah, it's funny because I read only read that book maybe once or twice, but I read The Power of Now maybe five times and I'm like ready to read it again. Damn. So kind of similar to release and let go is just being an observer of your thoughts, mm. right? So it's just like, okay, I have this thought and we usually are so um, taken over by our thoughts that we don't know that we're thinking. So we think negatively or we have a lot of anxiety or fear or sadness or depression. And so that book basically teaches you how to be the observer of those thoughts. So you kind of take one step back and go, huh, 
I'm feeling anxious right now, feeling scared right now, feeling sad right now, feeling happy right now. And looking at those feelings in a non-judgmental way as a way to let them pass. Totally. So, but that takes an incredible amount of work and, and meditation, which is why it can be challenging. But in my opinion, that's the way to go. The power of awareness, my friend. So before we get into the future of TripAdvice, how did you meet your wife? So I met her filming one of my YouTube videos. So in 2018, I had a friend, or I have a friend still, but she uh, owns a dance studio. And we were chatting. I was just moving back to Chicago. And I said, hey, I want to do a video teaching guys like a dance move. I haven't done any videos like that before. She's like, yeah, okay, cool. Come by next Friday. We'll, we'll film it. Okay, great. So I show up to the dance studio, bring all my film equipment. And that day she's like, oh, I have some of my girls like helping out, like her employees who were dancers at the studio. And one of those girls was now my wife, Megan, who I met. She was super cute, super cool. She ends up actually in the video too because the dance move is a twirl move, like how to twirl a girl. And so I use her as an example of how to do it. And that day I got her number and, and that was it. Texted her, got a drink and we were been together ever since. And you have all the skills to make that happen. What took you so damn long? (laughs) It's, uh, what do you mean? To get to the point where I had like a serious relationship? Yeah. Like I'm sure you've had many of the dates up until that point. Like I had many relationships up to the, up until that point. And there's another skill set that we haven't really talked about. There's the skill set of, okay, how do you attract a girl? How do you get her attention? How do you know if she's attracted? But then the next step is, how do you know that she's going to be a good match for you? Mm. How do you know that this is a good fit for you? A lot of guys don't think about that because if they're able to attract a cute girl, it's like, oh, great. That's fun. I don't need to think about anything else after this. I got the girl. But if you end up in a relationship... That's toxic, which I, I have been in, in those before because you picked the wrong girl. Well, you didn't do it right. So I was finally at the point in my life where I really learned how to do that. And I implemented that. And I was implementing that that summer. And so she passed all the, all the tests, all the things I was looking for. I can relate. I was in a seven-year relationship that did not and super great. Right, you know. Right? Yeah, I very well know. Wrong pick. <laughs> you know what? Wow, that's so funny. Such a simple way of saying Wrong pick. <laughs> um, okay, so I know you have a book. It's called Magnetic, but then also you have trip advice that you're doing. Oh, what? I should have brought you a book. It's all I'm good. not used to being on podcast in person. That's all good, man. Um, not that you need it, but you know. Yeah. Well, I would have read it. Either way. Yeah. But uh, what's the future of trip advice? Where do you see things moving toward? So... Uh, I mean, I want to be the biggest dating coaching company in the world. You're not? I feel like you are. We're getting there. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting there, but I want it to be to the point where it's like you are always going to be associating trip advice with dating, um, or at least dating advice, or maybe even bigger future, future plans could be advice in all arenas. You know, maybe we have coaches who are coaching on health or wealth or a number of other things, but, um, for now, it's helping men be able to attract women, and we now have the capabilities to help as many men as possible because we have the structure in our business to do that, which we didn't have before because it was really only me and my coaches, and I know my future coaches 
are incredible and they know exactly how to get guys results. So I want to scale that to the point where if you want to get coaching and you want to get results in your dating life, you sign up, we'll hook you up with a one-on-one coach and you'll just be off and running. Hmm. So uh, really more of the same, but bigger. Yeah, I love that, man. So I have 10 rapid fire questions for you. Ready? Okay. First yeah. thing that comes to mind. I'm ready. What's your best business advice? Um, it's uh, every day is a roller coaster. So don't look at a hap- a great day as this is how your business is doing. And don't look at a, a bad day as this is how your business is doing. Great advice. What's your best marketing advice? Don't guess what your market wants. Know exactly what they want. Very good. What's your favorite part about entrepreneurship? Freedom. When are you the most productive? Um, 8 to 11 a.m. Who is your inspiration? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I, I Probably my future self. Very Matthew McConaughey of you. Sounds very uh, narcissistic. No, that's what Matthew McConaughey says. Tell me one secret or something most people don't know about you. I could, well, before I could have said my real name is Max, but that one's out of the bag. <laughs> Knock that one out of the park early. Um, <laughs> something to know about me. That, uh, I'm actually a very funny person. Hmm. And I say that because I'm not funny in any of my content. No. I don't crack jokes. I don't, even my podcast, like it's pretty serious. So I would say that. That is a good one. I'm yeah. like more goofy than I come off yeah. on my material. I, I'm very like intense, you know. Well, hopefully, I think we pulled some of that out of you today. Yeah, a little bit. So I feel like people got a taste of that. But I would say that's true from your content that I've been consuming for a while. I was yeah. like, yeah, for sure. This guy's not messing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's trying to get guys chicks. It's great. Yeah. Uh, what would you change about yourself? I wish I would. I, 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 would, I, don't say like, I don't like to say I wish, but I would like to be thicker. Hmm. It's always been a, a thing of mine. Always like been a, muscular? A, yeah, like I've always been a skinny dude. Sure. So it's uh my genetics are it's it's a long road to building lots of muscle. Yeah. Before this interview I had another one with a guy, he owns an organic supplement company. Big dude. We let me always take a photo with my guests. Yeah, I look like a mouse compared to this guy. <laughs> yeah. I look like a mouse compared to most people. <laughs> uh What's your favorite app or resource right now? I just downloaded yesterday an app called Freedom, which helps you block websites that don't help you be productive. For example, maybe your social media. So if you put it on and get the timer running, you won't be able to access an app or website. So it forces you to do other productive things. I've heard of this one. So I have a, a new rapid fire question that I've never asked anybody. Cool. Because it's unique to you in Chicago. What's the best deep dish pizza in Chicago? Lou Malinati's. Okay. Close second Pequod's. Okay. I've been to Lou Malinati's. Yeah. Very good. It's the best. V- very buttery crust yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. After one slice, you kind of feel nauseous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it, though. Actually, to this day, my dad and I, when we went and visited Chicago, his favorite meal of all time was, no offense to you, but it was Giordano's, I think it's called. Yeah, Giordano's, that's solid. Yeah, yeah. It's not Lou Malinati's, though. No, I agree. I agree. I actually think Lou Malinati's is better. But for his birthday this last January, I sent him a Giordano's pizza like in the mail. It cost me like 50 bucks in shipping. Yep. But it was like, for his birthday, whatever. Totally worth it. But nice move. Yeah. Good man. To, thank you. <laughs> so I know you haven't been in Austin super long, but what's your favorite part about Austin? All the 
interesting quirky spots mm. you know like you're driving around and not like if you go to any other city like nothing looks like the different spots here the bars some of the restaurants the coffee shops everything is this indoor outdoor kind of thing and not in the sense where chicago like every restaurant has a patio but it's not the same it's like this is actually like land there's a lot of land in these little areas that you can like hang out and just i, I just love that it just makes it and everything is very isn't very corporate you know it's like very unique yeah so i like you, that part about it you nailed it uh I have one last question. Before I ask that question, though, I just want to acknowledge you, man, for a lot of reasons. For being another Midwest boy, for always following your interests and curiosities from burning CDs to we didn't even get to the stories about cigarettes. Oh, sure. To uh, Not really proud of that one, but hey, <laughs> it's, part of my, it's part of my history. To helping a lot of guys with dating, to honestly putting out amazing content that are serving so many people through showing up today to come to my event randomly out of nowhere, which is so serendipity. We we should tell that story real quick. It's kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, do you want to go for it? Yeah. Okay. So we were DMing, like we said earlier, randomly. And I'm like, oh, I want to be on your podcast. And he was like, oh, okay. Wow. Skip the foreplay. And he's like, yeah, man, for sure. So we made a, a time for me to come on the podcast. And then like a month later, I got invited to an event that was hosted by Corey and I show up and he's like, wait, trip. And I'm like, huh? It's like, Corey, like you're coming on my podcast in like a month. <laughs> I was like, wait, you're running this meetup. <laughs> that was crazy. Uh, small world. It was wild. Yeah. I, my mind exploded when I saw you walking up and I was like, I was just DMing this guy. Yeah. What is happening yeah. in my life right now? But actually though, the funny thing about that, speaking to the last question about Austin, that is actually my favorite part about Austin is the serendipity nature of running into people in this town. I, and I don't even say this from like a cocky standpoint. I say it from, it's this town is that I can't go anywhere without running into people. It's like there's a million people here, but it has the most small town vibes of anywhere I've ever lived in my life. That's great. It's running the same people all the time. Let me tell a quick story. Do we have time? Yeah, you're good. All right. So in LA, it's so big and so spread out, you you really never run into anyone that you know. Like it's it's unheard of. I never did, except for one person. So I met this girl... I think it was on actually a dating app when like I was first trying it out and we went on a couple dates and we hooked up and then like, I just was not really into her anymore. Just, you know, I was like not very interested. And so I basically told her like, I'm no longer interested and she got really butthurt. Like she was very offended, which was like, okay, I don't know. We went on a couple dates. It wasn't like this long thing and I didn't ghost her. So, that girl I ran into like five times over the course of my nine years in LA. And we, why that girl, right? The girl who hates me, like every time I would try to make light of it, like, hey, what's going on? And so I think by like the fifth time, we were like kind of cool, but we were laughing like, wow, we run into each other all the time. So I don't know why that happened, but it did. That's a backfire of serendipity if I've ever heard it. Yeah, man. totally. <laughs> uh, before I ask my last question, what's your plug? Where can people find you? Yeah, well, if you're listening to this on a podcast and you want to get dating advice, you can listen to my podcast. It's called How to Talk to Girls. It's on all the podcasting platforms. Uh, if you want to check out the YouTube channel we've been talking about, just type in Trip Advice with two Ps into YouTube. 
And uh, if you're interested in taking things to the next level and you're like, wow, I actually do need coaching. I do need help with women. And I have no idea what I'm doing. We help men 18 to now we just, I think, broke record of working with a 77-year-old. Wow. So it's never too late to get help. If you need help, you can go to tripadvicecoaching.com and you can fill out a little uh, application where we get to learn about you. And then we chat with you and we talk about coaching. 77. Good for him, man. Yeah. That's wild. It's great. We'll put all that in the show notes. So last question, it's really whatever your best piece of advice is to rather somebody else or a younger trip. If you were to go back to, we'll say ground zero of trip advice and you were just getting into starting your business and doing the coaching thing and you were to talk to younger trip or anybody else in that position who wanted to do something similar, what's maybe the best piece of advice you would give to that person? I guess it's, it's going to be kind of similar to what I said in, in one of your first rapid fire questions. And because it's a lesson that I'm still learning, which is uh, business and entrepreneurship is, is a very um, long road of so many lessons. It's crazy. And I'm, and I will be continuously having business lessons. I don't know till I'm gone off the earth. And so there's a lot of, ups and downs. There's a lot of times when you're going to be questioning yourself. There's times when you're going to want to just quit. And then there's times where you're like, this is the best thing I've ever done. Of course I should be doing this. Wow. And you're higher than high because business is going really well. And then the next day it's not, it just, it's a series of that. So I I would probably go back to my old self and I would say, listen, there's a lot of, a lot of shit's going to happen to you in the next 12 years in this business. Just know that you're on the right path and just to keep going and which I, which I did, right? But to not get ever too emotional when maybe things aren't going right right away. And I think we want that. And I still want that. So I still have to tell myself, okay, things take time. This is not whatever's happening right now that you maybe don't like isn't an indicator that everything is, is gone to hell. And to really to really tie this together, um, be the observer of your thoughts and stay on the path and try not to be too judgmental on a day-to-day basis. Look at things more holistically. I feel that deeply, man. And in all sincerity, thanks for one of my favorite episodes. Appreciate it, man. Dude, you're the man. You're a great interviewer. Thanks for having me. Thanks, brother. Hey friend, thanks for listening to the show. And if you have any feedback for me about the show or any other guests that you'd want to see in the show, definitely shoot me a message. I love engaging with my audience and figuring out how I can provide the best value possible to the people listening to this show. Before you go, I only have one ask of you and that would be to check out my three tips Tuesday newsletter. It's three marketing tips every Tuesday specifically for the health and fitness entrepreneur to help them attract new leads. If you press the link in the description, it'll take you directly to the archive of all my previous newsletters and you can decide for yourself if it's something for you. If you end up finding it helpful, you can just sign up for the newsletter and you'll get it in your inbox every Tuesday. Thanks again and keep hustling my friends.